Romans 8, reading at verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God hath chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? We were looking last Sunday evening at the confidence that God's people can have, no matter what we may be up against, no matter who may be against us. As we seek to live for God, the Bible tells us that we should be confident in our God. God wants us to receive strength and encouragement from his own word. And I believe a passage such as we're looking at over these two evenings is one that is designed to strengthen, to encourage, to build up God's people. We saw a little last week of the purposes of God for his people. And we, as we looked at them, considered the context in which we find them. We saw how God was promising that he was going to work all things together for the good of those who loved him and who were the called according to his purpose. We saw that if God is for us, then no matter who may be against us, they cannot prevail. They cannot win. Against me, we were singing it tonight, though an host and camp, my heart yet fearless is. Though war against me rise, I will be confident in this. And we saw the great argument the apostle uses in order that we might have such confidence. He reminds us of the fact that God did not spare his own son, but that he gave him up, delivered him up for us all. If God has done that for us, no, since God has done that for us, because we know God has done that for us, how is it possible for us not to graciously give us 
in Christ all that we need. And so we looked last week at God's purposes for his own people. This evening I want to examine further some of the ways in which the Apostle proves the truth of what he is saying. And finally just to mention how we can be persuaded of the truth of this passage only if we are in Christ Jesus. Not everyone here tonight has a right to take these words and apply them to themselves. Only those who are in Christ, only those who have received the love of God in Christ Jesus. So if you haven't, I urge you in the name of my Lord and Saviour, before we go any further, to receive this love for yourself, to receive all that God has for his people in Christ. And then all these truths that are so tremendous in the estimation of the people of God will be tremendous in your estimation as well. You too can come to know the reality of these things for yourself. One thing that's very, very obvious as we live our lives in the world, be it as individual believers or as the people of God in general, one thing that is obvious is this, that we are often very much up against it. We have innumerable enemies against whom we must contend. The Christian life is a life of conflict. There are many forces at work in our world who are bent on the destruction of the Church of Christ. And the greatest tragedy of all is that sometimes these forces operate within the Church so-called itself. How then are we to face up to all our foes? How then are we to respond to all these things that we may be aware are against us this evening? Well, what better than to turn to the passage that's before us tonight? In the 33rd verse, Paul asks this great question, who will bring there's really a series of questions here. The first one is, what then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? He's begun asking this series of questions. And in verse 33, where we're really beginning this evening, he asks, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen. See, Paul knows his Bible. And Paul knows that in the Old Testament scriptures, God told his people, no weapon that is formed against the Lord's people can prosper. Isaiah says, he who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Who is my accuser, says Isaiah? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Now Paul knew these words and virtually repeats them in this 33rd verse. 
sums up the message of that passage in Isaiah 50 and Isaiah 54 and says who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen it is God who justifies if we're in Christ tonight God has justified us God has made us right with himself and it is that same God who according to Isaiah will refute every tongue that accuses us now you say that's all very well for Isaiah to say that's all very well well for the Apostle Paul to speak in such strong terms but what about poor little me what about me in my little corner what about the things that I'm up against I find myself perhaps you're saying in a minority well you wouldn't be the first one to find yourself in a minority but as one of my old elders back in Helmsdale used to say one with the Lord is a majority see Noah was very much in the minority when he went about the business of building an ark people laughed at him people asked him where's the sign of rain Noah they mocked they jeered they ridiculed but God was on his side Joseph was very much in the minority but God was on his side Gideon and the 300 who thought the Midianites were in the minority but in the strength of God the Lord they overcame David was so insignificant when you compared him with Goliath he was even ridiculed by his brothers who do you think you are going out to fight such a man but God was on his side Martin Luther to come nearer our own time was very much in the minority in the days of the Reformation and many others have been in the minority down through the centuries what about our Lord Jesus Christ himself was he not a minority of one does the Bible not tell us that he trod the wine press alone and that none of the people were with him and yet what was Christ doing as he trod the wine press alone what was he doing as he hung there on the cross what was the Lord Jesus Christ doing he was conquering he was triumphant he was taking the sting and the victory away from death and from the grave so that this evening if we're in Christ these promises that I've already quoted from Isaiah belong to us because Isaiah says this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their vindication is from me says the Lord it's only in Christ and because of Christ that we can stand up with the apostle and say who dare bring any charge against those whom God has chosen the purposes of God are coming to pass in bringing us to himself it is God who justifies who is he that condemns if God does not accuse us then no man has the right to accuse us not even our own consciences 
ought to accuse us if God has pardoned us. Our profession this evening as those who are in Christ is that the divine justice has been satisfied. Our profession along with the apostle in this passage is that therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The judge has freed us. Christ has died for us. The debt has been paid. We have been vindicated. Christ is alive. And Christ looks at us, his people. And in us, he sees the fruit of his death and resurrection. And this Christ, in whom we trust this evening, this Christ has been given all power and authority in heaven and on earth. Christ has triumphed. Christ has been raised up from the dead. Christ has gone to God's right hand. And Christ is there in the heavenly realms. Catch hold of this tree. Christ is there this evening in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, far above all power and dominion, and every title that belongs to Christ has been given to him, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God has appointed all things to be placed under his feet, and God has given him to be head over all things for the church which is his body the fullness of him who fills everything in every way if we're in Christ tonight we have a friend at court a friend in the court of heaven we have an advocate par excellence whoever lives to make intercession for us God is for us all that he is, is for us. All that he has, is for us. All that he's done, is done for us. The shed blood of Christ is for us. His death, his resurrection, his intercession. Everything is for us. Christ is determined to give us all things. God is determined for Christ's sake to give us all things. It's impossible for God to withhold any good thing from those who are in Christ. We have been chosen in Christ unto salvation by his own sovereign decision. You have not chosen me, he says, but I have chosen you. There's no place for pride. We have been chosen in order that we might obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus. God has done it all for us. Therefore we can ask this evening, if we are in Christ, we can ask, who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, he's at the right hand of God. to yourself 
all that the Bible tells us about Christ and what he's done. Are you in Christ? We saw this morning that he came to save that which was lost. It's only on the basis of what he has done that any of us can know God. It's all and utterly of grace. And for that, all God's people give thanks. And it's because it's of grace that we can have this confidence that God's purposes have been fulfilled in our lives. And we have the great proof of this in that God has brought us to himself and made us right with himself in and through the Lord Jesus. And we know that he has given us that which can never be taken from us. And we know tonight that having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. It's because of these tremendous truths that we can identify with this series of questions that the Apostle Paul asks and say, who shall separate us from this love? This is the great question that he asks in the 35th verse and that he answers at the end of the passage. He asks in verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he ends the section by telling us that he's convinced that nothing shall be able to separate us from this love. And yet he's a realist. Is this man of God? And he faces up to the fact that as we live in this world, there will be difficulties of various kinds. And he just highlights a few of these, and I would like just to mention them briefly. Shall trouble separate us? Now it may very well be that he's referring there to some outward kind of tribulation that God's people as individuals or the church of Christ as a whole may be called to go through. And you don't need me to tell you that in the Bible there are many references to the troubles of the people of God. To the afflictions of God's people. To the fact that often we are brought through the fire of tribulation. But what we need to realize when we are in the midst of such trouble is that no trouble of any kind, no tribulation whatsoever shall be able to separate us from God's love in Christ. What about hardship? Those distresses that may be caused as a result of those who would oppose us and put obstacles in our path. The difficulties that accompany living the Christian life. Well, whatever hardship it may be, it cannot separate us from this love. What about persecution? The way we may be treated on account of our commitment to Christ. Again, that can be sometimes very openly and obviously in our cup. Other times it may be in a very subtle way that no one else is aware of. Because of our 
identification with him, we can expect persecution. But he wants us to know that no persecution shall be able to separate us from this love. What about lack in the basic necessities of life? Famine or nakedness? And Paul himself knew a little of what that was about in a way that, that we don't. Well, here we're reminded of the fact that no extremity of an outward kind or of an inner kind shall be able to separate us from this love. What about placing our lives in danger for the Lord's sake? And none of us here tonight, at least most of us, know nothing of what that's about. Maybe one or two do, but for the most part we don't. Well, no matter what danger we may be in because of our commitment to Christ. Suppose it means that we have to go to the death for Christ. Not even that can separate us from this love. You know, sometimes, sometimes we, we may wonder how we would react if our lives really were put on the line because of our commitment to Christ. Very few of us probably know anything of, I certainly don't, of what it means to be in this kind of danger for the Lord's sake. Well, all we can say is that God will not give us grace tonight to cope with danger if we're not in danger. God will supply his grace, not before we need it, but in time of need. And yet sometimes Christian people have been, have been tested on this very point and found wanting. I remember hearing a story of an incident that took place in Eastern Europe during the communist regime. There was a gathering of Christians one evening in a certain place and as they were gathered together two men burst in with guns and dressed in, in soldiers uniform. The men lined up the whole meeting against the wall and said anyone who's prepared to disown Jesus Christ can go. One or two slinked away a little bit shamefacedly, but nonetheless away they went. Again the men said we're giving you one more opportunity for anyone who's prepared to deny Jesus Christ to go. Another few left the room. This continued until there was only a handful left. And a further opportunity was given. And this time no one moved. Then the men asked, are you all prepared to die for the sake of Jesus Christ? Everyone in that room said yes. Whereupon the soldiers took off their uniforms, laid down their guns, and went round the room embracing all who were left. Now we know it's safe for us to worship our Lord. Now I'm not saying, and I don't think any of us should say, that all those who left the room 
what necessarily hypocrite. I, I honestly don't know what I would have done myself, and I'm sure you don't if you're honest either. I don't know how many of us would have passed that test. But these men only felt safe when they knew they were meeting with people who were prepared to lay down their lives for the sake of Christ. I just tell that story and I want you to, to ask yourself what you would have done in that situation as I must ask myself. And I've told you my answer. I don't know. I don't know. But in this verse I'm told that no danger of sword shall be able to separate me. Shall be able to separate us. This is true of all the Lord's people from this love. As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. We shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves up against it. When we find ourselves treated in this way in this world. Jesus himself said to his followers, Don't be surprised though the world hate you. It hated me before it hated you. Don't be surprised. And no matter what you may experience, don't let any of it make you imagine for a moment that Christ is against you. Don't imagine for a moment that any of it can separate you from his love. And the way this is put, it seems as if this was a, an ongoing experience for the Lord's people. For your sake, not we faced death once all day long, but we face it, this is continually the case. And we should never lose sight of the fact that the church is in conflict with the world at a very deep spiritual level. Christ says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And it's only because of what Christ has done that we can be, and this brings me to the last point, we can be persuaded, convinced, Sure, certain of the answer to this question of verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Quoting from Psalm 44 verse 22. Here's the answer. This is what Paul is persuaded of. No. In all these things, notice that. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We're not guaranteed immunity from them. We're not told that we're going to avoid them or escape them. But in them, in them. We are not conquerors. It's far more than that. We are super hyper conquerors. Through him who loved us. Nothing to do with us. Nothing to do with our strength and ability to cope. Nothing to do with our character. 
nothing at all to do with us but all to do with our Lord Jesus Christ I was reading this afternoon in fact the story of a painter who once painted the devil playing a game of chess with a young man whose eternal soul was at stake the scene showed the devil with a look of glee on his face as he checkmates the young man whose look of despair acknowledges defeat there appears to be no other move for him to make a great chess player came across this work of art and after carefully studying the game he set up a chessboard with the pieces in a similar position after much thought and time he saw that defeat could be turned into victory by making just one certain move on the young man's behalf the devil was placed in a position of other defeat in life we have no chance whether we're young middle-aged or old against the wiles of the devil who's determined to ruin our souls no hope against the devil if we contend with the devil on our own but at Calvary God intervened at Calvary the Lord Jesus made that move that enables all of us whether we're young middle-aged or elderly to trust in Christ to have complete victory thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ I've got to ask are you trusting in what Christ has done to give you the victory over all who would ruin your soul are you persuaded as Paul is of this love I am convinced that neither death nor life he says shall be able to separate us death the last enemy death which so many people dread so that they'll talk about anything and everything else but death and yet for the people of God unless the Lord comes first death has been given to them as the door through which they will enter into their Lord's presence how then can death separate us from this love in fact for the believer death will only be the gateway into the full enjoyment of this love how will it be for you where will death see you I want to ask tonight does death belong to you or do you belong to death what do you mean by that creature very simple if we're in Christ death belongs to us all things are yours whether life or death belongs to you look at death even as having been given you by God as the way in which he'll take you into his own presence unless he comes back before that <laughs> but if you haven't received death as God's gift in that sense paradoxical all that I said the truth is that you belong to death you're in the grip of death and there's only one who can deliver you from it and it's through that one and in that one that we can say that we're convinced that neither death 
nor life. None of the ups and downs of life, whatever we may experience in providence, can separate us from this love because if we're Christians, Christ is our life. So if Christ is our life, how can life separate us from God's love? It's if Christ is our life, then it's impossible for anything in life to separate us from this love. Can I ask, is Christ your life? For to me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Can you say that for you to live is Christ? Neither angels nor demons. The angels of God the messengers of God they wouldn't attempt to separate you from God's love in Christ that's not what they're for and the fallen angels the demons are no more able than their leader to deliver you what about the present circumstances in which you find yourself well, this passage tells you that it doesn't matter what your present circumstances are. If you're in Christ, they can't separate you from his love. Oh, you say, but mine are peculiar. Oh, if you only knew mine. Listen. This passage says that nothing in the present is able to separate us from this love. What about the future? There was a Gaelic preacher who was a noted songwriter... And in one of his songs, he says that the thing that troubles him most was what lay between him at the time he, he wrote his hymn and the time of his death. He says in the hymn that he's far more concerned about that than he is about the other side, as he puts it. Well, he needn't have been. For all he was aware of his own frailty and for all that we are aware of our frailty, this passage says that neither the present nor the future shall be able to separate us from this love. How can it if we know, to quote the chorus, who holds the future? Do you know who holds the future? I know who holds the future. Do you? It's God who holds the future. How then can any of that? But may lie between us and between now and the time of our departure, separate us from this land. Neither height nor depth. You know, sometimes when we run a high, that's when we're at our most vulnerable. When we run a high, that's when we're at our most vulnerable. Spiritually. And perhaps in other ways too. Well, no matter what high we may be on, no matter how vulnerable we may be, no height can separate us from this love. Uh, but you say, I'm really scaling the heights. I'm usually down in the depths. Well, what were we preaching on the other week? Psalm 130. Lord, from the depths to thee I cried. My voice, Lord, do thou hear. We have the Lord delivering from the depths. Depths of various kinds as we saw on that occasion then we can say no depth no matter what the nature of it may be and again yours may be 
pretty peculiar to yourself. As mine may be. Maybe the depth of my own making. Usually is with me. I'll be told here that no depth. No matter whose making it may be. No depth. Shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Ah, but you say, but ah, uh, but I'm different. Ah, but what I have in my life is peculiar to me. Do you have an answer for that? Just look. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation. Now I ask you one question. What can be more comprehensive than that? What can be more comprehensive? Nor anything else in all creation. No exceptions to this rule. If we're in Christ. Did he not make the creation? Is he not sustaining it? Does it not all belong to him? I have nothing to fear from this creation God has made. This is one of the great myths of our time, that Christians have a lot to fear from, from the scientific exploration of creation. Nonsense. What have we to be afraid of in the face of every discovery that is made if God made everything? Nothing can be discovered that is contrary to God. It's only the theories of men that are contrary to God. Man can never discover anything. That is contrary to the truth as it is in Jesus Christ, in this creation. Because God made it. And there's nothing in it. Nothing at all. That is able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's the heart. Christ Jesus, he says, our Lord. This is what I want to finish with is Christ Jesus your Lord. Sometimes it's the little words that are the most significant. It's this pronoun that is so pregnant with significance. It's this pronoun that determines whether or not these things are true of us. If Christ Jesus is our Lord then we are of those people who have every right to be strengthened and encouraged by a passage such as this. On the other hand, if Christ Jesus is not our Lord, then none of us who have not received Christ Jesus as Lord have any right whatsoever until such time as we do to be strengthened or encouraged by this passage. I ask you tonight, do you want these things to be true of you? They can only be true of you in Christ Jesus. The paraphrase of this passage is one that I want to quote as I finish this evening. And I want you to ask yourself as you hear it, as I ask myself, where are we in the light of these words? It's paraphrase 48. Let Christian faith and hope dispel the fears of guilt and woe. The Lord Almighty is our friend. And who can prove a foe? 
He who his son most dear and loved gave up for us to die. Shall he not all things freely give that goodness can supply? Behold the best, the greatest gift of everlasting love. Behold the pledge of peace below and perfect bliss above. Where is the judge who can condemn, since God hath justified? Who shall charge those with guilt or crime for whom the Saviour died? The Saviour died but rose again, triumphant from the grave, and pleads our cause at God's right hand, omnipotent to save. Who then can e'er divide us more from Jesus and his love? or break the sacred chain that binds the earth to heaven above. Let troubles rise, and terrors frown, and days of darkness fall. Through him all dangers will defy, and more than conquer all. Nor death, nor life, nor earth, nor hell, nor time's destroying sway, can e'er efface us from his heart, or make his love decay. Each future period that will bless as it has blessed the past. He loved us from the first time. He loves us to the last. Who shall be able to separate us from the love of God? Nothing in all creation shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. May God bless our meditation to each one of our hearts. Amen.